Uh, turn to Numbers, the book of Numbers, chapter, eight, uh, chapter 18, verse 19. There's this little gem that's hidden that doesn't, have you ever read the Bible? Well, probably a lot of things. You're reading it and going along, and all of a sudden something doesn't really seem to make sense, and you wonder, what does it mean? That's what I love about reading through the Bible. If you follow our daily plan, now just so you know, there are days that I do miss, so I'm not going to try and fool you and make you think that I follow that plan every day. Uh, but I don't get discouraged if I miss a day or two. As a matter of fact, usually on Sundays and oftentimes, sometimes Saturdays, I'll just skip it because, well, I just, I, if I get five days in, that's good for me. But I love reading it. I love following it. Because all of a sudden, as you're reading through, you'll begin to see these themes that, that reoccur and come about. That's one of the good things about reading through the Bible. Sometimes you'll just be reading and all of a sudden something will stick out. Something that seems to be hidden. Something that doesn't even seem to make sense. Well, we're going to talk about one of those little gems today. And I want to read it for you in uh, Numbers chapter 18, verse 19. It says this, And I'll give to you and your sons and your daughters all the holy contributions that the Israelites present to the Lord as a perpetual statute. It is a perpetual covenant of salt before the Lord for you as well as your offspring. Now, let me give you some context for where that verse is. Remember, uh, Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. This is the 40-year, those books cover the 40-year journey of Israel coming out of slavery getting ready to enter into the land that God promised them. So when this verse is being stated, they've been at Sinai for probably 12 to 14 months in this journey. Now, there's so much history here. I've got to be careful that I don't get bogged down in it because this should have been about 11 or 12 days, and they ended up taking 40 years because of rebellion and, and all of these issues taking place as this nation of slaves. But they're in the wilderness, and it was at Sinai, if you remember, that they received the Ten Commandments. But it was also a lot of other things happened there. That was just a short slice and sliver of history for them. So God takes this mob of his people, they're broken ex-slaves, and he wants to begin to shape them into warriors and to give them a new identity of who they are as God's people. Deuteronomy calls them God's peculiar people. It's not weird, it's just they're set aside, they're God's special people for his special purposes. So now they're in the wilderness and God is working in them and all of a sudden, he speaks this word to them. And it's interesting that God notes it here. <clears throat> but if you begin to understand, there's a, in the Bible, through the book of Exodus and Numbers, there's this thing called the wilderness motif, the desert motif, the, the idea that there's purpose behind God taking them through this experience. You and I go through them today. Jesus went through them. Uh, a lot of the great followers and leaders of God have gone through wilderness and desert experience. It's those times where it's dry, where it's barren, where you wonder where God is. You wonder what God's doing. You wonder why you're even on this journey. Have you ever been there? We all experience that, and these people are in the midst of it. But what you have to understand, God always has purpose in those. And as he's, and he's, as he's leading these people now through the desert... What he's teaching them is they need each other. 
Because see, when you're in the midst of a debtors in the desert or the wilderness, you cannot make it on your own. These people would have, God drove them together through the day. It would have been hot. Listen, we have been in Sheol now for a couple of days, and we're going to have a couple more of it. But this is nothing compared to their days. And they're out there in this open expanse where sometimes they could find rocks, a few oases to be able to, to get some water from. So what did they do? They had to huddle together. God drove them together in the day. Whenever they were in, in the sun, they had to move and they had to be close together, be under these rocks or if they could find any kind of shade or if they found an oasis or body of water, they would all circle around it close to be able to partake of it. And then at night, as you understand the desert, there are incredible seasonal weather uh, temperature swings. <clears throat> so what would they do? At night, they'd have to huddle together. He'd become very close in the wilderness and desert. And so God is, is out of this experience. He begins to reveal to them not only their relationship to one another, but his covenant nature to them. He shows them that not only are they to be in covenant with him, but they are to be in covenant with each other. Covenant in its purest form simply means it's a binding and solemn agreement between two individuals for a common goal, to make something happen together. So this covenant of salt is first mentioned here in the book of Numbers. Most of us probably haven't even heard it, even though it is probably the oldest of all of the covenants. Because it goes back to the time of the Bedouin, uh, nomadic Bedouins that were moving throughout the desert, that moved, that, that moved there through, through centuries. And this is a really important covenant for them. And, and, and God's people begin to take it up. We well, say, well, who needs salt in the desert? It's really interesting. But salt to them was like gold. And see, having this salt in the desert doesn't make sense unless you understand what God is really after, what he's really attempting to teach his people. Because see, the word salt always has reference to and represents loyalty, purity. So God's saying that when you bring your sacrifices, he's talking to these people about when they bring their sacrifices, be sure that they're honest with me. You're honest with me. You're honest before me. And you come with a sense of loyalty between each one of us. Be real. Be honest. Be loyal. Be open. Don't have a duplicitous spirit or heart. Come to me with a royal and loyal commitment. See, Saul had great meaning to the people then. As I said, the Bedouin people, the, the nomadic Bedouins that just traveled through the desert, through the wilderness, they actually predated Moses. They were a nomadic people. Now, these people, for them, women were highly, highly valued. Now, get this. See, we oftentimes think of shepherds as men. For the Bedouin people, guess who the shepherds were? You got it, the women, the wives. So they were highly valued, taken care of. But as they were out out in the, taking care of the sheep and the, and, 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 the, and the livestock, they had to take good care of them because that was literally their lifeline. That was their life insurance. That's how they lived. That's how they made currency and, and took care of their families. But what's interesting is they also could be attacked by other men. So they come up with this law of the desert. 
And the Bedouin men said this, this is what we're going to do. They had this law that said if any of their women were to be molested or raped or abused, it set in motion that that family, that husband and his brothers and that family would have the right to go and to kill the abuser. Not only could he accuse, would they kill that abuser, but they would kill his brothers and maybe other parts of the family. Why? So no revenge would come against them. That was the law of the desert back then. Now, it set up a couple of interesting things. Dating became kind of difficult, as you can imagine. Because any, any guy that, it, that goes up to one of these ladies, all she would have to do, if she felt she was threatened in any way, all she would have to do is, well, say, hey, this guy came after me, and guess what? He wouldn't date her, or anybody else for that matter. See, what you see is, is literally in the desert, these guys, they really were their brother's keepers. Because how these, how these men treated these women would affect their whole family. So everybody really became their brother's keeper. If something happened, the whole family would pay for it. This was not a casual relationship. So think about the, the implications for dating. If you approached her, all she had to do was accuse one of these men of something. But they did have a system that was kind of interesting, and I can't give you all the details because it would take too long, but it's a very interesting system of how they dated. A guy, like let's say he saw a woman, and she would often be dressed in all black so that she would stand out against the white desert sand. So he saw her, caught a glimpse of her face, watched her tending the sheep, and he goes, oh, mama, mama. Had kind of, you know, just kind of, you know how you get that first look? Well, what he would have to do then is he would go off, way off, and he would simply observe her from a distance and watch her. And then he would pay attention to where she would go to, to give water to the, to the sheep that she was taking care of. And he'd watch her. And then he'd watch her. And then as soon as she left from uh, giving the, the sheep water, he'd walk over there. And what he would do is there would be, wherever there was water, he would put a footprint there. Put his footprint there. And then he would leave. And then he'd wait until the next day when she came back. He would watch her and see what she does. And if she walked up there and she put her footprint next to his, guess what? There was a blossoming potential for romance. <laughs> no, this is, I know this is weird, but this is, I mean, I know this isn't bachelor and bachelorette stuff, you know? Where they're smoochy facing all the time. And this is a long process because now he still couldn't approach her. He would have to go and get somebody from his family, usually another his brother or somebody, to go talk to the father to say, I have eyes for your daughter. They'd sit down and talk and negotiate and talk about where they were coming from and how much uh, resources they had. And then finally, over time, and I'm talking about a pretty lengthy time, they'd go through this rigmarole. They'd finally, the dad would say, yes, you can meet her. And then they'd end up getting married. Now, what's interesting is, is when they got married, as they went through the ceremony, which took a few days, guess what happened? The bride and the groom would stand before the sheik or the priest, the Bedouin priest. This is what he would do. He would do one of two things. He would either sprinkle salt on their head 
or he would throw salt on their clasped hands together. Why is that? Because it was like in our weddings today, how we exchange rings. Well, they were exchanging covenant. They were saying, we are together in this. Salt was a sign of a sacred and precious covenant. And they always entered in, in the Middle East, they would always enter in to a covenant with some kind of a sign. And oftentimes it was, salt was used because it was so highly valued. See, God's a God of covenant and sign too, isn't he? If you think about it, Noah staggered. God calls Noah, and Noah is staggering, staggered at the immensity of God's wrath that's coming to the world as he knew it then. In Genesis chapter 9, verse 13, God says this, I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant. So God comes to Noah, and due to the level of the violence and the corruption on earth, he says, I want you to gather all the animals, two, at least two of each animal. I want you to build an ark, and I want you to lead your family into it so that, so that I can start the human story over again from total scratch. But he says, guess what? You won't be alone. I'm going to give you a covenant. I'm going to give you a promise. You're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. And you're going to see this rainbow of promise. And that's going to be enough for you. I promise I'm going to take care of your family. See, God's a God of the sign, of the covenant. Remember Abraham? He's wandering He's childless, he's purposeless. And in Genesis chapter 17, God calls him and he says, this is my covenant with you. You'll be the father of many nations. Now this comes years after Noah. Noah did his job and over time though, as happens, the human race begins to drift downward. And so God has to begin again. So he comes to Abraham and he says, I want you to leave everything familiar to you. I want you to leave your home. I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your security. I want you to leave the country that you know. I've got a place for you that's totally unfamiliar, but I'm going to take you there and I'm going to lead you there. And guess what he says? You won't be alone. I'm going to make a covenant with you. You're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. And he says, this is the covenant that I'm going to, this is the covenant sign. It's going to be circumcision. Now, can't you just see Abraham pausing for a moment? Scratching his head, standing before the Almighty and going, you know, God, Noah got a rainbow do, do you think maybe we could, maybe a secret handshake, code word? Does it have to be circumcision? But God says, that's going to be the sign. See, God's a, God's a, he gives signs with his covenants. And salt was always used as a sign of covenant blessing between this Bedouin husband and wife, who was a way of saying to one another, we're entering into a covenant relationship with each other. We will never be disloyal to each other. We will only be loyal and we will live in purity because of this covenant. You'll read in the book of Numbers 
where the Levites were to add salt to their grain offering. Why? Because as they added it, it was a sign as they were making this sacrifice to God, it was a sign of loyalty and their purity before God, their loyalty to God and their purity before God. You read in 2 Chronicles chapter 13, verse 5, it says, King David's kingdom was established on a covenant of salt. What did that mean? It simply meant that God was declaring his loyalty to him, King David, and his descendants forever. Why? Because of the covenant of salt. Salt is a picture of loyalty, never-ending. Now, now, a lot of you know this, but if you didn't know this, as you read the Old Testament, loved ones, it always points to the New Testament. The Old Testament, the 39 books of the Old Testament are simply a foreshadowing. They're a picture of what's going to happen in the New Testament, and they point to the things of the New Testament and ultimately point to Jesus. Do you remember when Jesus said in the talk on the big hill, the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you are the salt of the earth. See, most people teach and they think that that's referring to, well, that means, well, you're going to be a preservative in this world. You're going you're to give it flavor. You're going to be salt that, you know, like when it hits snow, it kind of melts the coldness of it. You're going to preserve. You're going to you're going to deal with all the putrefaction of it, and you're going to bring flavor to the community. And I believe that all of those things are applicably right. But I really believe that when Jesus was referring to this salt of the earth, he was saying this. Just like the people of the Old Testament, as they experienced this covenant of salt, and God brought them together and said, I'm going to make a covenant of salt with you, what Jesus is saying is I'm bringing you together in a covenant relationship built around me in my life and the covenant that I'm making with you because I want you to be different. I want you to be loyal to one another and I want you to be loyal to me so that when the world sees you, when the world watches you, they'll see something different. So you're probably saying, well, what's all this got to do with Da Vinci and the Lord's Supper and the Lord's Table and all of that today if we're in this Heart of the Art series? Well, Leonardo Da Vinci painted this classic picture of the, of the Last Supper. Most of us have seen it. We're familiar with it. He, drew, he painted something very significant that students of art have noted for years. They've talked about, they've written about it for centuries. You'll see Jesus with Peter and John just to the right of Jesus. Or if you're facing the picture, they're the first group of three on the left of Jesus. And what you'll notice is that Judas, he's holding a bag. It's a little bag in his hand. Some believe that it's actually the 30 pieces of silver with which he received in betraying Jesus. Some people believe it might be the, the, the coffers of the disciples because he was noted as the treasurer. Uh, although John, I believe it's chapter 12, tells us that he was also pilfering from it. But he was the, basically the treasurer for the disciples. But as you look at his hand, if you look closely, and you can see it, I believe, probably on the front of your program, you'll see something else interesting that people have noted, art historians for centuries. And they see in front of him that 
Judas is tipping over a salt shaker. What's da Vinci communicating there? Well, he's coming back to this covenant of salt. There's a Near Eastern expression, a Middle Eastern expression today that says betray the salt, and it means to betray one's master. What's the picture? what's, What's da Vinci really communicating? He's saying, isn't it easy to be disloyal? to break covenant. Fast forward to our culture. We are so adept at breaking covenant, aren't we? Think about it. Our culture is not based on loyalty anymore. We're the little, we're the ones who think so little about abandoning a marriage, abandoning a spouse, abandoning our children, Find a loophole to get out of any commitment. But what does the covenant of salt really probably say to us? I think it would say this, I'm going to be loyal to you no matter what. We're going to grow and be loyal to one another no matter what. We're going to handle each other with a sense of grace and truth in loyalty. You can be assured that I'm not going to gossip about you. Could you imagine if people in our culture today really saw loyalty from the church, from Christ followers? Where they saw loyalty to spouses. That Christians didn't jump in and out of marriage. And I'm not here to beat up on anybody, but it's, it's, it's a point that where we, we really were sprinkled with spiritual salt, that when we get into a relationship, it's covenant. It's common goal stuff. It's commitment. It's pure. Could you imagine if you did that at your work? Imagine if you were really loyal at work, where you were the one that said, I'm going to be the best worker. I'm going to be the first one here. I'm going to be the last one to go. I'm going to be the one that rallies people, not divides people. Could you imagine what that would do for your work? I'm not going to jump ship at the first opportunity, first problem that comes up. I remember growing up, I loved sports. You know what? You could actually cheer for a team because they'd have the same players for 10 years. Now you can't, now you don't really cheer for teams. If you, you know, a lot of times you just cheer for players because they're coming, they're one and done. You know, they're done after a couple of years. There's just, our culture isn't known for its loyalty, but I think that that's what Jesus is saying. Remember what he said as he was getting ready to break the bread in communion? John chapter 13. The disciples, they're all gathered around. They're trying to figure out, okay, who's the greatest? Who's going to carry the big stick? Who's going to be Jesus' right-hand man and his second-hand man? And they're all arguing, what does Jesus do? He dons the towel of a servant, and he gets down on his hands and his knees, and he does the very thing that any servant should have been hired to do at that time, which is to wash the disciples' feet. And then just 35 verses later, he says this. He He says to these guys, 
They're wondering, what in the world are you doing, Jesus? And he says, this is what I'm doing. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. What's he mean? He's talking about the new covenant that's coming, but he's also talking about that you serve one another, that you're committed to one another, that you're not sitting here vying for position with one another. But there's a loyalty and there's a purity to your relationship. A lot of you that are a lot smarter than me know that salt is made up of two things, sodium and chlorine. Either by itself can cause serious damage and even death, but you put them together, the elements begin to change, and they become safe to use on food, and they can even preserve life. Did you know that while too much salt is not good for you, everybody needs salt? It's part of of having a good, solid life. And that's fascinating to me that these are examples of God's incredibly creative power and insight. See, covenant relationship, you have to have two involved. It's got to be you. It's got to be Jesus. And I think I just have two challenges for you today. With this covenant, are you... Are you committed loyally to one another? Now, we're we're really different, all of us. And that's all right, that's good. But are are you committed to one another? Because the world is watching, and that's what Jesus said. He said, they will know that you're Christians by your love for one another. Or is it just easy for you to bail out on people at the first opportunity? Get your feelings hurt. And just bail. But there's also a second part of that. How's your loyalty to Jesus? Are you in covenant relationship with him where you both have the same focus, same goal? This is what I know. It is so easy to sell out so cheaply to our call to walk with Jesus. We'll nip us in here. Sell out over here for working too much, giving too much to the company. Leave a spouse. Have an affair. Jump in bed with somebody. Rip somebody off. Gossip about people. See, that's breaking covenant, loved ones. And Jesus says, I come to give you a new covenant. Jesus comes to this Passover meal and he says, it is a new covenant. It supersedes all. It's greater than the Noahic covenant, than the Adamic covenant, than the uh, Abrahamic covenant. And it's even greater than the covenant of salt because it envelops all of them. And then we're going to come in just a minute and we're going to receive communion together. But what I encourage you to do this morning is to think, how is your covenant relationship 
with the covenant giver, Jesus Christ. See, the communion table is Christ's table. It's not Creekside's. This is not a clubhouse meal for members. But we're going to open it all to regardless of age or church membership. To anyone who simply seeks to respond to Christ's love and wants to be in covenant, covenant relationship with him, we're going to invite you in just a minute to receive the bread and the juice. But I want to just have you consider a few questions. First of all, have you acknowledged Jesus as the Lord of your life? And what what that really means is Lord means the master. Do you really say, I want to please you in every way, every day? Is that really the bent of your life? Or is this just kind of a religious thing that you come to today? Second question, are you walking with Christ this week? Or have you sold out cheaply? For Judas, it was 30 pieces of silver. Wasn't a whole lot of money. Have you spilled the salt and broke covenant? That's all right if you have, because today is the day you get to come to Jesus and repent and say, forgive me. Have I surrendered? The third question is, have you considered, have I surrendered my life to him or am I holding back part of my life for myself? And this could be so many different things. Maybe you haven't stepped out into ministry because, oh, I'm afraid. And you know God's spoken to you to do that. Maybe maybe God's spoken to you to be a giver, but you're, "Ah, I don't want to do that. I don't know. It makes me really nervous. Or maybe you're out there in the world living one way from in here. Kind of spilling the salt. But I want you to know, I want to remind you today, loved ones, because in the passage in Luke chapter 22, when it talks about the Lord's Supper, guess what? He says this, Jesus says, remember, remember. Remember, as often as you do this, the new covenant, the new promise, the new way of relationship that I'm giving to you. And that's what I want you to come to today. Say, Lord, I want to be in covenant. So I'm going to invite you to do this for the next couple of minutes. I encourage you to simply calm your spirit. Take your time and approach these moments of worship prayerfully as you sit at your tables and receive. You're going to simply, there's, there's, there's juice and there is bread there. And in just a moment, I'm going to have you break it and we're going to play some music. And what I want you to do is just to have a quiet time before Jesus. And maybe just do a little personal inventory for three or four minutes. Have I really acknowledged Jesus as the Lord of my life? Is my bent and my focus toward him? Am I walking with Christ this week, this past week. Because if I didn't, if I didn't this past week, let's drive a stake and say this week, it's a new week. Because I'm going to enter in and renew this new covenant. And if I surrender my life to him, or am I holding back? Maybe you just need to make a covenant with him there. Say, Lord, I'm going to give you this area of my life. I've been holding back. And as I receive this this morning,
It's my promise to you to do it. We understand that the bread represents Christ's body that was broken for us. It's a symbol of sustenance, Jesus' body, that every day we get to be partakers of it. And then, of course, the juice is simply a reminder. Hebrews tells us that without the shedding of blood, without the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, coming for our sins, there is no forgiveness of sins. The shedding of Jesus' blood on the cross was so that his followers, you and me, might experience release from the penalty of sin and death. This is the ultimate covenant. So you have these emblems at your table. And you're just going to take them, and I want you to prayerfully just consider, where are you with Christ today? This isn't meant to be a heavy duty, oh, I'm so bad, woe is me. It is simply the reality of what do you need to do to really grow forward in your life with Jesus. So as we just play some background music, I'm going to give you about five minutes. And just review. Maybe some of you want to take some notes about some things that the Lord would be speaking to you during this time. But I invite you to receive. Maybe if you've never received Jesus as your personal Lord, your personal Savior, do that today. Maybe this would be the first expression of receiving that and participating in that. That's why it's open so that you can receive of Jesus and his life and this new covenant today. So let's go ahead and just take a few minutes. And some of you, you know what? Some of you may need to walk to somebody and just, Renew covenant with them. Maybe you need to go see somebody and pray with them. Do it. Maybe you need to go and encourage somebody. Do it. Maybe you need to go ask for forgiveness from somebody. Do it. Don't wait. Break bread with them. Father God, I thank you for these precious people where we are all just in this journey. Some of us are in an oasis. Some of us are on a plateau. Some of us are in the wilderness and the desert. But we understand that you are orchestrating all of that for your high purposes. I pray that we would continually be open to, responsive to, listening for the guiding word of your spirit and your word. I pray, Lord, that you would teach us to be people of the covenant, the covenant of salt, where we're loyal and we're committed to purity. But most of all, we're committed to the covenant of Jesus Christ who comes and says, never will I leave you nor forsake you. So Lord, let us press into that understanding today. In Jesus' name we pray and give thanks.